Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Welcome to episode 64, I Came, I Saw, I Conquered. Did you? Not quite as much (laughs) as the person that we're going to be talking about today for our topic. However... Yeah, I like to think that I have. Like, I think you totally have. You've conquered DBP, that's for sure. We both conquered DBP. That's true. That's true. You know. (laughs) Uh, Today we're drinking a 2015 Veni Vidi Vici. That's the name of the wine. That's the name of the wine. So that's the name of the episode. And it is a Pinot Noir from Bulgaria. I didn't really know that. I mean, I knew that Bulgaria made wine, but not really. They say, since we haven't seen you in Bulgaria lately, we've brought you some of the finest local flavors. I think oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so casual. I know. <laughs> All right. Sweet. And it's ABV is 12.5%. 12.5. Yeah. You're going to crack it. I am. Yeah. I had to use some muscle for that. You'd be so proud. I actually cracked open properly, that way that you taught me, uh, a bottle of wine this weekend. Did you know? Yes. I think my dad looked at me like I had three heads. Okay. That's a little bit darker than it looked in the bottle. Yeah. I actually think that this is a pretty dark looking Pinot. It smells smoky. It smells. It's really? I get, yeah. I get like. No, it doesn't. No, I get I just fruit it. on the no. nose. Like, no, I do. Like I get the cherry that you would think you'd get with Pinot. All right. Cheers, Cheers. bitch. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. That's that's kind of tart. Let's give it a moment, okay. shall we? Yeah. All right. Let's, so, uh, let's talk about Bulgarian wine. Yes. Let's talk what, about Bulgarian wine. What can you tell us about Bulgaria? Where I mean, is Bulgaria? What can I tell you about Bulgaria? Yeah. Where is it? That, I can't tell you much about actual Bulgaria. Well, neither of us have ever been. No, neither of us have ever been. Okay. So it's bordered by Romania, Turkey, Greece, and Serbia. Yeah, so it's kind of in the middle in all those. Is it on some water or no? The Black Sea on one side. So yeah, they do have um, some water. So there's going to be some sort of maritime climate, if you will. Yeah, actually, they also have the Balkan Mountains that block the winds from Russia. Oh. Yeah. And this is this is in the one of the regions that is south of the Balkans and it's drained by a river. So it gives you a Mediterranean climate. And this is the Thracian va- this is the Thracian region, wine region, or okay. the Thracian Valley. Thracian. The other wine region is the Danube Plain wine region. The blue Danube, no. Yes. So the Black Sea's to the east, Romania's to the north, Serbia and Macedonia are to the west, and Greece and Turkey are to the south. Cool. Yeah, bordered right. by a lot of in, um, interesting countries. That seems like know? a good one. If you're going to go visit any of those countries, you might as well just knock out a few of them while you're out there. Right? <laughs> because Bulgaria is like basically the state, the size of the state of New York. Okay. So have they been making wine for a while? or They have been making wine for, wine for a while. In the 70s and 80s, Bulgaria itself was the fourth largest producing wine country. Wow. In like the world. Are you serious? Yeah, like the whole world. However, all of the wine production was actually government run and 90% of their production went straight to the Soviet Union. So like none of it, like 10% was retained in within their borders and I'm sure not really even exported. That is crazy. Yeah. 
Um, over the last about 30 years, uh, it has slowly made its way back into the private sector. So the government doesn't really run it any longer, but it has like, you know, it has its obstacles, right? So you need to like adjust. I mean, consider when you have all of these rules, I'm sure yeah. you're making wine, you know, under it's like French laws, right? You know, you don't have quite as much room for experimenting. So at any rate, um, it is no longer government run. It is privately run, which kudos to the winemakers. Yeah. Okay. Good for them. Um, so we're drinking Pinot, but that's not really what they're known for. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Their most planted red wine grape is Merlot. And then uh-huh. Cab Sauvignon comes in second. There's, I mean, they also have very interesting grape names, which I don't really... I'm, I'm not familiar with them, nor have I seen them before. We're going to totally butcher some of them. Okay. Get ready, guys. All right. I'm, I'm going to go for one. <laughs> I was going to say Chardonnay, but... You know what? You, should <laughs> see, you see it. You came. You're going to see it. Okay. And you're going to conquer it. Red Miscuit. Yeah. I don't know what the hell that is. I'm not sure either. We're going to have to look into it. What's this other one? Dim Yet is a white wine. Okay. Uh, wait, but red misket, red misket is actually a white grape. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Interesting. I'm looking at this picture from Wine Folly. There's mavred, which is an old red grape variety that in Greek, mavro means black. So that's mm. where it comes from. It's a blending grape, but it has been described as characterful, low yielding, small berried, and late ripening, producing Character. a tannic, spicy wine. I mean, that sounds kind of good. Just like there's another one, another red of theirs that is called Reuben, and it's a native grape. And they describe it, Wine Folly had described it as sort of like a cross between a Nebbiolo and a Syrah, which to me sounds delicious. I don't, I don't really know what to think. Yeah. <laughs> pa- uh, <laughs> Pomid is also an old grape variety. It's a white grape, but it's used for red wine. Um, it's also oh. in Yugoslavia, Albania, Turkey, Greece, Hung- Hungary. I guess it can be red or sometimes dark red, but also can be white. I, I, I don't understand. I don't know. That. Yeah. Um, well, you know how some white wine grapes have, like Pinot Gris, can look a little, it can look a little pinky, it can look a little gray, it can look a little, I think, greeny too, okay. and yellow. So, I don't know. It's a low acidity and a good amount of sugar so it's a red light table wine for mass consumption they're not appropriate for maturing and should be consumed young right after fermentation (laughs) noted (laughs) that's pomid Uh, that's pomid okay uh they also have like chardonnay and gewürztraminer so i mean those are like ones that like other common grapes that people would be familiar with so maybe that's that's probably if you're gonna find a bulgarian wine somewhere in the states like that's probably going to be one of those varietals because I just don't think many are going to import a varietal that the people are unfamiliar with. That's not the That's U.S. True. market. For the most part. For the most part. I'd be interested in trying some of these, though. Yeah, well, you and I would be. Yeah. But I just don't know that... I mean, it's not going to get big bucks for unknown grapes. Like, okay, so Pinot Noir. This is a known grape. How much did you pay for that? So I think this was about a 10 to $12 bottle. Okay. So, the, you know, they say that P- Pinot Noir is a new, they're new plantings mm. um, in Bulgaria. So I guess there's a French distribution company that has been 
bringing it over there. I have to think that if this is younger, then maybe the fruit is just still so young that it's just not really producing very strong characteristic wines yet. (laughs) This is not your typical Pinot. This is not, it's not even like, like it has, okay, it's, I'll talk a little bit about it. Let's do that. I feel like there's more alcohol in this than Than 12.5%. Well, you know it technically can have plus or minus. This is true, but I'm talking like. You think significant level. I mean, what do you think? I don't, I don't know that it feels particularly alcoholic. So I'm really struggling with this one. This is going to sound terrible. (laughs) So I'd say that this is more medium minus body. It's not a light body Pinot. It's definitely weightier. So that is a point in my court for it. However, I feel like it has a bit of a sawdust taste at the end. (laughs) And in my mouth, it just, that sawdust, there's like... um, A bit of a bitterness that just stays there. (laughs) Fruit-wise, I think that you were spot on with more cherry notes. But I think that some of it can be overwhelmed. I agree. I think it's like... I. I, It's no Willamette. Oh. Damn it. Mm -mm. (laughs) No. Mm -mm. Uh Uh-uh. No. Very tart. (laughs) Seriously. Sawdust. Very, very tart. Wood chips. I would be interested to try a Bulgarian wine that is something... Native. Native. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like that would be much more interesting. We should ask you know, around. This is, I, I think because we don't have access to many Bulgarian wines, this is something we picked up. But I do think that we could revisit this with a different varietal that is maybe like, I don't know, red misket. I can't, that's, that's a white one. wine. Oh, <laughs> I mean, by all means, we can drink a white wine. Dimyat. That's also white wine. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How about we just like try any of their wines? Mavred. That one. There we go. There we go. Okay. Okay. I mean, I would try a white one. Yeah, I would too. I mean, after I read up a little bit on it, if I can, but yeah. I don't think I want to try the Pamid though. That didn't sound very great. I want to try the Reuben because that sounds like... Described as a Nebbiolo and Syrah cross, which, love it. Yeah. Although I prefer like a Barolo Nebbiolo, as opposed to just Nebbiolo by itself. True story. But anyway. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's come back to this a little bit later too. But let's talk about Venevidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. The phrase is Latin, attributed to Who Julius Caesar. Oh, he's special. Apparently in a letter, after he quickly defeated the front... I can't. I can't. He defeated somebody at the Battle of <laughs> I can't pronounce any of it. Pharnaces, the second of Pontus. Does it make you laugh? I just don't know how to pronounce any of this Pharnaces. shit. Pharnaces. Pharnaces. It's kind of a funny name. Pharnaces? It's like furnaces, but totally with an accent. It's anyway. like pharmacies, but with an N. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the phrase is used to refer to a swift, conclusive victory. So kudos to Julius, I guess. Um, but we're not here to talk about Julius. We are here no. to talk about Wonder Woman. Yes. Her name is Martine Rothblatt. She's been named She's a, a by, badass bitch. Mm-hmm. She, she's she's been, a boss bitch. She is. She's been named by Forbes as one of the world's 100 greatest living business minds. 
And I believe it after learning about her. So why would we know? Why would anybody know her? Why? Yeah. Like where, like what is something So that... she's known for being one of the founders of Sirius XM Radio. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be the one that people are going to be like, what? Yeah. Yep. Martine Rothblatt. Like basically she invented satellite radio. Not like serious oh the brand like she invented satellite radio like, yeah like let's talk about how big of a deal that is yeah like she went to the fcc and said hey i think that we need to put satellites in space and i think that we need to have radio stations and there were all of these laws and all of this red tape and shit and everyone's like oh it's not gonna work so she fucking made it work like she like so let me let me go back and just rewind on how we found out about her yeah because um, that is interesting too so she actually created united therapeutics in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Now, in my profession, I deal with a lot of drugs that are used to treat a condition <clears throat> called pulmonary hypertension. And it's a very specialized cardiac condition. And someone at work told me, oh, have you heard about the person who invented United Therapeutics? And I'm like, no. And they're like, it's the same person who invented Sirius Radio. And I'm like, this is your coworker? Yeah. I'm like, okay. Like, you need to listen to this podcast. So they put me on to Tony Robbins' podcast from May 24th of this year. And it's called Wonder Woman Who Might Save Your Life, Meet Martine Rothblatt. And so I listened to this and Tony Robbins is interviewing her. And it's remarkable just listening to this story. So she first starts talking about Sirius Radio and gets into the story that you're talking about with how she created... Serious radio. So she has an engineering background. Right, like right. Which makes sense in the context of Sirius XM. Like engineering, yeah. putting together these satellites and rockets and shit like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. And then, what happened? So she basically figured out that satellite radio would work. She like did all the math and knew that it was like for sure going to work. And there was, like you said, all these naysayers... Who were like, no, 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 it's not going to. The government had all this nonsense to overcome. Yeah, it was stupid. Mm-hmm. So she had to basically prove it to them by putting them in a car <laughs> and like driving them around so that they could hear that it actually worked. Yeah, because they were like, oh, the buildings of, uh, I think New they York. were in Washington, D.C. first, maybe? Maybe. I, I, yeah, I thought it But someone, the, I think the first one, they drove around and there were a bunch of trees. And everyone was like, oh, all the trees are just going to block everything. And so mm-hmm. she disproved that. And then they were like, oh, the big buildings in New York are going to block it. And then she disproved that. And so then, but she had to raise all, like, all of her own funding. Yeah, so she, I think, raised like $2 billion because they basically had to go into it and pay themselves for like two or three years Yep. Um, before it could actually make its own money. Yeah. So... The FTC basically was saying, well, you can't do this because you're taking over the market. Like, there's not going to be fair competition because you're just going to offer all the stations to everybody. And they said, well, that's just the way it's going to be because technology is new. And why can't the people like in rural areas have the yeah. same access to the same, you know, music and also talk radio and news that everybody else gets. I mean, think about it. If you're in a small town, even when we lived in the place that shall not be named, like it was pretty limited. You basically yeah. listen to like Bible stuff or <laughs> or country Bible stuff. It, and I mean, it's like that is not what everybody wants to listen to. And the fact that they wanted to create it's like serious 
you know, the goal was to basically overcome that so that everyone had access to everything and they could choose what they wanted to listen to. Right. This was also considered before the days of all of these, um, all the radio stations having everything online. Like you can live stream. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of them do that now. I, don't think that that existed back then. So this is just, it's really incredible trying to like spread the fingers and spread the reach of all of these different types of programming. And yet there were laws that said that somebody couldn't own more than 10 stations at a time. Yeah. And they wouldn't allow it to go f- across multiple states. That was just that allowed. And so... It's, cra- it's crazy. She... She fucking convinced them. Yeah, and you know, I think part of it was that people were going to pay for it. It was going to be subscription. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the how how they um, got that to to go through. <laughs> yes, um, I, I mean because they had to they had to get money, like you said. Yeah, the other big big player in this was Howard Stern, because yes. he basically is what caused Sirius Radio to explode and grow. Have you ever listened to Howard Stern? You know, way back in the day, a long time ago. Did you ago, really? I think I've seen like. I mean, I remember one. watching his shows while he was yeah. on the radio, but I don't think I ever um, actually like listened to it on Sirius. No. Yeah. So. No, I haven't listened or watched recently. I know he has a, like a, a wide variety of guests that go on there, and yeah. it's sort of there are no. What is it? No holds. I don't know. What's that saying? You mean he doesn't care what he says? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, I do. So, I mean, I think that's part of the reason he got so popular. Yeah. And so when the, he signed on... And people love him, actually. Yeah. I just... Isn't he, like, really rough around the edges? But people like that kind of shit. They do! And you know what? And this proved it. This proved it. And he... So, Howard Stern is, res- is basically responsible for the largest growth of serious True. subscribers that they've ever seen. Which is really a you know a fucking feat. So kudos, cheers, cheers to Howard Stern. Can we cheers Howard Stern? Yeah. I know it's not about Howard Stern, but let's just cheers it anyway. Also, I think back then, everything he there's a lot more like societal no nos, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think back then there was a lot less of that, so he probably got away with a lot more. So anyway, did. So that would be enough, I think, to like make anyone that accomplished and like, wow, you created satellite radio. Agreed. I'd be like, all right, I'm done. done. I'm gonna relax. Yeah, for mic a while. drop. Done. Mic right? drop. <laughs> True. Mm-hmm. But then she okay. So how did she get into the drug industry? Yeah, this pharmaceutical is wild. industry. It's crazy. So she had a daughter. She who, has four kids. But this was the youngest one, right? I don't remember uh, which one it is. But Her name is Genesis. Yeah, a young daughter who was having trouble breathing, and they ended up being diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension, which is when the arteries in basically in your uh, from your lungs to your heart do not vasodilate, so they your lungs don't get the blood that it needs to circulate. So they can't, can't really breathe. So most of these people at the time would have a very short lifespan because there wasn't really any drugs. Like five years. Like they had like a five-year life expectancy, I think is what they said. Yep. It was a fatal lung condition at the time. Now, interestingly enough, and they don't talk about this in the podcast, but so she created this in 2000 and she created a drug. Well, she didn't create the drug. She found the drug. Another company had created it. Mm -hmm. But I'm just going to say... 
This was in 2000. Interestingly enough, a very similar drug that we still we still use both these drugs to this day um, was created by another drug company around the same time. So you know they, okay. they both. I did were, not know that. Yeah, they both were. I think around the same time. I wonder because the whole thing is that she found a company who was working on a drug. So right. I think that they had, what had happened is, is that she, like, basically doctors were like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. And so she wouldn't take no for an answer. Like, she was like, well, if you can't do anything, there's got to be something. I'm there's got to be something. somebody who's going to do something. Yeah. yeah. And so she looked and researched and was in a library and found, like, some study on some compound, some molecular compound, so some drug that a company had produced that they had, did not think that it was going to have any utility because it only affected those those arteries. Oh, so it was like it was like the juice isn't worth the squeeze, basically. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they were like, oh, it only affects like it's like basically it's not going to be worth anything because it's not going to really do anything for that many people. Well, and they also said like apparently back then there were only like two thousand people living with the disease or yes. with the condition. Yeah. So, can you call it a disease? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's only like 2,000 people. So 2,000 people in the context of the entire world, like, yeah, that's pretty small, small, you know. Yeah. Whatever. But uh, yeah, I so think that... basically you have to think about it like you have high blood pressure and only a certain part, in, only in the blood vessels of your lungs, right? That's crazy. So people, so they're like, well, if this drug only affects that part, like it's not going to be a good hypertension drug because that's right. what most people are suffering from so, so why limited. would they because it takes a lot people don't realize that it takes a lot of money from a drug company to bring a drug to market because they've got to do so much research and so they felt like well this isn't going to benefit that many people the bang's not worth the buck yeah kind of mm-hmm. thing so they're like okay well we're just gonna shelf this one and this happens all the time with I'm drug sure. companies you know they come up with compounds they don't feel like it's going to have any utility, and so they, they shelf it, you know? Well, and then, like you said, it costs so much money, and they basically have to take it through all these clinical yeah. trials, too, and different phases of clinical trials, which I know we're going to talk about in a different context, but yeah, I can imagine that it would be very disheartening. You're just like, ah, okay, it's not going to do what It's we a lot to of do. money to run those trials, and yeah. so is it going to be worth it? Are you going to see the outcomes that you want? Are you going to be able to, you know, get that money back from selling the drug? And that's well, what... is that, that's, I mean, we could do another podcast about this, but like, that's also part of the reason why some like drugs are just so ungodly expensive. Well, these drugs are so ungodly expensive. Yes. Yes. I can tell you. They're yeah. a couple hundred thousand, if not more a year. <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Anyway. That's paying off the research that was done. So it's it's hard because, yes, you're right, they should be affordable. But at the same time, if drug companies don't have the incentive to go through, like, they, they need to recoup the money on the work they've put in. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, we are never going to have any kind no, of research. I can't imagine the number of people that have to go into this. Right. But so, so anyway, so she found this company who had it, basically. And then what? did she do so she went she approached the company and she's like you know i want to buy so she has all this money now from sirius xm radio so she's like i want to buy this this compound from you and just i will go forward in creating it and they said no they didn't want to sell it to her i don't know so i don't think she got into why um so she had to like keep banging on their door and try and get it and trying it and finally somehow she partnered with like some scientists and 
attorneys and she somehow gained licensing and made her own pharmaceutical company to further develop the drug. What? what? And that's what she did. Because guess what she says? What's that? She says, when your why is strong enough, you'll find the how. And so I, she, this literally listening to the podcast. I mean, I've read like other articles about, you know, some of the work that, Mm -hmm. that she's done, but it's, if you listen to the podcast, I mean, she's just like, she is filled with nuggets of little things that are so motivational. And you're like, fuck yeah. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And this was something, she had no context of the medical field. Yeah. She was an engineer, like you said. Yep. And so she's like, I mean, her kid was dying. Her kid was given a life sentence, basically. Mm-hmm. Five years. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I have to do something about this. And I have the means. I, I think that I have the means to be able to do this. And so she fucking went out to do it. She did it. So, okay, sorry. Like my dad always said, if there's a will, there's a way. That's right. Yeah, that's basically the same thing, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I like how she said it. Yeah, so now there's um, over 40,000 people who have this disease and are living, and they, you know, it, it's not an easy disease to live with, even with the drug. I'm sure but, it's not. you know, these, these people are living, and they have, the one that it first started is a continuous IV infusion. That's Wait, the one. what is it? It's a continuous IV infusion. They have to be hooked up to like a pump. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And that is the one that she so that she started with, and now it's available also oral and sub Q and inhalation, all these different ways. Now, there's all different types of like issues with all of them that don't make it a perfect system, but these people are living with and have an option yeah like it's crazy you you raise a very good point i mean it's like if you it and i don't mean to belittle anything regarding the situation but it's like you have this again fatal disease and so you're like okay so what is the least evil that i can mm-hmm. live with mm-hmm. and so they kind of you know figure that out and and assess like which route of administration am i going to be most comfortable with well, it's that, and it's like how severe is the disease, exactly. and do you need a combination? And now there's all other drugs. Like I said, there was another company that came out with a very similar drug, and now there's even other ones. So, you know, so it's, they've proven they've proven its utility, and that the, you know this is something that's worthwhile. Yeah, doing. Yeah. So, and I believe that they're actually starting um, to study implantable pumps. So, oh, really? Yeah. Pumps that are actually like implanted in the body so people don't have to wear it outside of basically wear a pump. Yeah. It sucks. So they're focused on, they've focused on rare diseases. They've also created a drug that cures neuroblastoma. In, oh, I yeah. Think in children. children. Mm-hmm. And it was previously fatal in 50% of cases. Uh-huh. And now I think it's working, not 100%. But it has no. been, there's been some success with it. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think the way that it was described is that it is a fatal disease, afflicts children, but those that take the drug that United Therapeutics has developed is cured 50% of the time, which goes from 0% okay. to 50% chance. Which is huge. I mean, that's significant mm-hmm. if you can, I mean, if you can imagine. And it's not just like it, it like puts it away for a little bit or like decreases the the tumor or whatnot yeah. it literally eradicates it that's so crazy it's i to me i mean i sit there and i'm like wow that's like so worthwhile it's just such a such a ridiculous accomplishment um but she literally there's like nothing that she can't tackle it seems i mean yeah. to be honest 
And then, so if that wasn't enough. <laughs> yes. This woman's like non She's non-stop. Does she sleep? Probably not. She just seems to do so much. And she's so passionate about everything. So what's this other thing that she, well, there's a few other things that she's been doing. So what's the next one that we're going to talk about? She started looking at, so she, she started, as she started going into rare diseases, she started thinking about organs. So organ donation. And as most people know, you know, the organs are short because someone has to die most of the time to give your organs away. I mean, you can do like kidney donation and stuff and keep and be alive, but like... Yeah. And most solid organs are from cadavers. Cadavers. Yeah. But what I didn't know, Sarah, I don't... Maybe you knew this. I had no idea that 80% of the actually... The actual donated organs are disposed of. Well, because there are such specific requirements about not only, not, I'm not even talking about, you know, like rejections or things like that. So I think what you mean is 80% of people who want to donate their organs, a lot of times those organs cannot, like they might take the organs and then realize like they can't be used for certain reasons. For example, the organ might not be healthy enough. Uh-huh. Or like, how did the person die? So that plays into it. Right. And then, but there's also like, they need to be transferred and implanted or transplanted mm-hmm. within a certain period of time. Certain period of time. Oh yeah. And that is the essence. And you have to find a match. Yeah. But it's, a lot of people are on the transplant list waiting for a match because they have to look at all sorts of things. They have to look at like blood type, um, size, like it has to be the right oh. size person. Like you can't have like, and this you is can't a- implant a heart of like a 300 pound man into like a child. Yeah, or yeah. even like a hundred pounds, man, one hundred and fifteen pound woman. Yeah, like you can't. It's just not gonna. I fit. just saw like a thing where like there was this woman's two year old son who died, and his heart went into I think a one year old or something, and then she just listened to the the heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, so a lot God, of you know what crying. else they do is they um they've like recorded it and like build a bears <gasps> and then given it to oh that may yeah that like breaks my heart right now. I know. I've worked with heart transplant people. Oh my so God. That's why I know this. Yeah. So they're in shortage, obviously. Mm-hmm. So she thought, okay, well, you can. And I mean, we get a lot of things from pigs. Pig cells and organs are basically very similar to human cells and human organs. I've heard of pig valves. Yes, like, that, that they do. Transplants. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But they're called xeno organs. They're basically these pig organs that are stripped of the DNA. To help reduce rejection. That's been studied for a while. I think she kind of like got into it looking into how they can actually bring it to the market. Um, I think that there's a lot of controversy around it. Like in terms of like, they didn't talk about this in the podcast, but like in terms of like animal rights activists and like just the crossing of the DNA Mm -hmm. with pig and human, like how is that going to be? And so... I don't... We're not getting into that. Well, I don't think that it's not an option in the future, but I think that there's a lot of question. And you still would need immunosuppression. Right. um, Just like as if you got an organ from another person. Now, how that's going to look from how it is now versus that, I don't know. You know. But so she's essentially come up with a way to, A, fix organs that have previously, or that would be on the market for like 
disposing of them. Mm-hmm. Like, make them usable. I was like, is this like a refurbished computer? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, basically. I mean, I'm sure that you have, like, very regular checkups and stuff to make sure it's still operating as intended. Um, but the other thing is that she is working on building prosthetic organs. To me, that's way more exciting. This is insane because that effectively means... And printing of these 3D organs, essentially, is not designed for those needing, like, immediate... Um, like emergent transplants. No. This is for like you're sitting on a you're you're gonna need a kidney transplant or a heart transplant or a lung transplant down the road, and you've got some time to kill yeah. essentially, and then you can have your DNA and all this jazz. Yeah, this is insane. So I think you're this always gonna insane. need human organs for those emergent cases for sure. Um, sure. But yeah, if this works, I mean this will be crazy. So they're using 3D printing, basically printing organs, lung, heart, and kidneys. Um, and they want to just make them like car parts, which is crazy. So they start with a cell, they take it back to when it was a stem cell, and then they can make it into any type of cell. That's why stem cells are so freaking important. They are really cool. I mean, I um, I, there's, I don't even know like a, a small, a big enough amount about them, but I know that they are they do incredible things. So yeah, I know. So. Um, yeah, they, they and then they can fit it to exactly like you said, the person. Like it look they it measure it, they exactly. measure the current one or what the what the, you know, non-damaged one is. How do they do it? So, I think what they do is they use the collagen structure from pigs. They take their cells out and they use it as a scaffold. And then okay. they use the human cells to um recellularize and replace the pig collagen with human DNA. Oh my god! Direct I mean, that sounds. Like, I mean, I don't even know what yeah. half of that means, but it sounds, it sounds incredible. It's, yeah. So it's currently being tested in baboons. In baboons, okay. So this is part of that like clinical trial, the various phases, right? Yeah. So this would be early stage. Wow. Pretty early stage because you're going to have to eventually test in humans. Uh huh. And but they have proven successful, right? Uh, I don't know. She said that they've been in. I think she said the baboons have been, I, I can't remember how long. It's so far looking good. Yeah, and I think, so they started with a kidney and a heart in the baboon. Some of this, I think that I recall her mentioning that it's sort of similar to, there's like a whole thing about like growing like an ear. Yeah. On You know, and you can basically create a new appendage. Yeah. If you will. Uh, which is also amazing. I see here, it's, it's estimated to take about six months once... They finished going through the FDA mandated process. So six months to like build the organ for the person. Oh, right. Which okay. is, that's not bad. No. People wait that long for wedding dresses. I mean. People are on the transplant list for years. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that that could be incredible, in, or an incredible opportunity for people to sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but like the light that will let you keep on living and not the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, okay. That is amazing. So, again, if that wasn't enough. I know. Well, and let's just say that one gets back to a little bit more the whole engineering background that she's got. I feel like it's both now. Yeah. She's got the engineering and she, I think, is also a lawyer. But then we get moved back even deeper, I think, into the engineering piece with her electric autonomous helicopters. Which is insane. And the whole reason she came up with that is because she wanted to help conserve energy in the environment 
Because when you are transferring organs and you need to basically get them from one place to another super fast, you use helicopters. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if we're in Milwaukee and there's an organ in Michigan, how do you get it to, you know, how do you get it here within like 30 minutes? Yeah. Like you need to, you need a way to do that. And peep and hospitals have helicopters yeah. that go from one place to the other to get these and you need the surgery to go on. Get the Isn't heart. it called like flight of life or something like that? Flight for life. Flight for life. That's, that's what yeah. it is. That's well, flight for life can be really transferring. It's it's a it company. Can do a lot of things. They're transferring basically a patient to where they need to go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, and that's what's really funny because you sort of see, I think, this migration, right? Of you know, sort of what she's wanting to do. She wants to make things very accessible, right? With Sirius, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then from Sirius, where she's made you know, radio programming accessible across the whole freaking country. Mm-hmm. And then from there, she finds this, you know, issue with her daughter and wants to save her daughter's life. And then from there, she's like, well, wait, more people can survive from this. And then after she figured that out, then she's like, well, we need to cure more incurable yeah. diseases. Like, what the exactly. fuck? Like, you're not going to stop there? And then she goes to transplants. And then from transplants, she goes to these helicopters because she's like, okay, so we've fixed the transplant issue, yeah. but we still haven't fixed the amount of time. So let's do something about it's that. Crazy. I feel like everything is just building off of each other. And it's just like, if she didn't do each of these other things prior to, maybe she shouldn't, she wouldn't have gotten to where she is now is with true? the ideas. But at, at any rate, so these were, like you said, invented, um, or the idea sprouted in order to better transport these organs and to assist the environment because she's very she's very thoughtful of that she said she owns did she say like 10 or 20 teslas oh something crazy it was something astronomical and i was like do they make that many models yeah she actually so in september 2016 is when they had the first electric powered full-size helicopter that flew and this was demonstrated by her and that was in the world oh yeah she's a pilot too yeah, but oh, yeah. she had but she had somebody else fly it. She might have been there. Yes, but she had somebody yeah, else. Fly but she it. was demonstrating it, and then because someone in China was also doing this, and that's who she ended up partnering with. I thought on February sixteenth, two thousand seventeen, her electric helicopter established a new world records of a thirty minute duration flight. What a bitch! An eight hundred foot altitude, and it still had eight percent state of charge remaining in its batteries. I feel like I read something in an article where it mentioned that the these helicopters, so the autonomous piece is mm-hmm. is coming, just like autonomous cars, right? So yeah. there's going to be self-driving everything in the future, apparently, mm-hmm. which is terrifying to me. The thing is that these will have like fail-safe triggers, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. So there will be multiple engines still, which is, and they're still much more lightweight than I think the regular engines of the of helicopters. Yeah. And so it's really, I mean, when you think about it, it's probably even more safe than a regular powered helicopter because it has all of these, you know, electric things. Now, sure, technology doesn't always work, which is also a terrifying situation, but this seems like a real fucking good thing. I know. She actually made the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. In 2018. It was t- so 2017, 2018, and I think they were pl- they're planning something if they haven't already done it for 2019. Oh, if I'm not mistaken, I feel okay. like in the podcast she said something about that too. One of the other things that's really interesting about her approach to innovation is that she sort of starts with the whole it, it, is what I'm gonna do. It was what I want to do practical. Yeah, and then 
the other question, the flip side question is, does this go outside the laws of physics? Because you can't get around the laws of physics. Right. Now, you can work within the laws of physics, so you just need to make sure that what you want to accomplish will still fit within those confines. But once you figure that out, take your practical projects, split them into year increments, and this is the key thing. This is what I thought was like so pivotal. The end goal of each year of your increments should be to achieve something awesome. Not just something. Something awesome. Everyone thinks, you know, oh, I just need these like mini milestones. But it's Mm -hmm. like, no, I mean, if you're going to keep innovation going, like you really do have to have something that is like on the edge. And really, and that I think helps you, helps motivate even further during the course of your year. I mean, like her just view on life is the motivation and the, I know. the grit. Yes. That's what it is. Grit. Well, and then they have this, she employs this thing called co-opetition. Okay. So it's like competition and cooperation. Okay. You know, combining of those. And so it basically means like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. And so essentially you'd have multiple teams working towards the same goal but working like simultaneously and separate of each other. But yeah. at the same time, they still cooperate in order to achieve that goal. That's why I feel like when I'm at, I'm at work or I'm doing anything, it's like having a different perspective is so valuable because you don't know what they're going to bring to the table. And it could be the thing that makes or breaks like whatever you're working on. To me, that co-opetition thing, I think that that sounds like a great method. I, I, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. I think she's definitely going to have some roadblocks with the organ stuff. You know, I guess she even acknowledges that the regulatory approval process is not known. Yeah. There's never been anything like this. So they're going to have to, I think it's going to be a while before we see anything like that. She's even been looking at drones to basically move organs to. You know what? Amazon and Google and like UPS, like all of these places are are working with robots to deliver mm-hmm. things in mm-hmm. automated cars, uh, delivery systems. Yeah. And so I was watching a video about that recently. And that stuff can happen now before you even yeah prosthetic organs. Like you can figure out ways to get them there faster. And yeah, yeah. Still, it's just like incredible to me. Like it's not just like a one sided thing, like a one very selfish or one reason for doing something. There's so many good reasons and good things Mm -hmm. supporting Mm -hmm. um, her thought process and you know these projects that she's embarking on. Well, I think basically people are like, "Well, that's impossible," and she's like, "Well, no, it's not." She like thinks of all like the the worst thing that you can say. Yeah, she thinks (laughs) of all the things that are impossible and how to make them possible. Like she skips over, like she thinks over, she thinks about things that people skip over because they don't think it's possible. Are you like that? Sometimes. It depends. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, you know, creating any electric helicopters, but... You know what? I don't think everyone in the world needs to work on that project. (laughs) So yeah, currently she's working, she's got a lung restoration center at Mayo Clinic. Oh. So yeah, and the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. They're also looking at other... In Jacksonville, Florida? Yeah. I was looking at other future collaborations. The xenotransplantation, she's gotten grants from the University of Alabama, Columbia Presbyterian, University of Maryland, a bunch of places. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. And then, I mean, we're not going to get into this, but she actually underwent transgender surgery. Gender reassignment, yeah. Yeah. This is while she was CEO of Sirius, too. Yeah. 
So what are some good quotes? Oh my God. From her. She has so many. This is, I think she said in response to the conversation with Tony about uh, Sirius, where she says, the purpose of us humans is to spread our civilization, our beauty, and our happiness through the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And that's what she was like, we're going to shove this shit out in satellites. Yeah. And then everyone can hear. Yeah. Right? I agree. Well, I think um, one of them is actually not hers, but she says she lives by Nelson Mandela. Yes. Mandela's philosophy, which is it's okay to shine and be proud of yourself because it inspires others. Yeah. So if you're doing something good, then, you know, you don't have to, like, brag about it, but at least let other people know. Don't be afraid to, like, it's one thing to be modest, but, yeah, don't be afraid to toot your own horn because people might be like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, I want to do something like that, or, oh, my God, I had this idea. Maybe Mm -hmm. I should go try to do that, too. Yeah. And then I love this one. Which one? You get 99 no's for every one yes. (laughs) It's the truth. I mean, there's, like, a whole story about everyone who said that, like, Michael Jordan and... I'm sure Albert mm-hmm. Einstein, you know, like all these people who've heard knows. And that's like what you were saying before, the impossible. She kind of makes the impossible possible. And it's like, well, it seems that everyone tells her no. And then she's like, well, mm-hmm. gosh darn it. I'm going to make it fucking happen. I'm yeah. going to do it. Another thing that I thought is, it's a re- it really is inspiring when you think about it. It seems like a very big chunk To break off, I will say that, but Martine also said, the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest opportunities. Mm -hmm. And it's so true, but it's one of those things, like, even that whole process for taking practical projects and breaking them down, you can take the biggest problem, but the whole thing is, like, don't try to immediately fix the biggest problem. (laughs) Break it down into these little pieces. Find out what is, like, building up into this big problem and then try to tackle each of those smaller ones. And then eventually you're going to fix that or impact that big problem and do something about true. it. This mm-hmm. is true. So I just think, yeah, she's, she is very inspiring for so many reasons. Uh, just somebody who's like a go-getter, uh, you know, she's not a quitter. And it really is just incredible what she has accomplished. Yeah. Damn. I, I mean, it's insane. I can't. Like, serious radio, life-saving drugs... Potentially prosthetic organs. organs and then electric helicopter. I mean, almost speechless. But no, I'm gonna cheers almost, that, but bitch. not quite. Okay. Yeah, boss bitch. Well, I'm inspired. Are you inspired by wine? this wine? I can't say that the wine is as inspiring as the woman. <laughs> um, all right, maybe you have turned me into a snobby Pinot Noir drinker. It's possible. But damn, I really prefer the Willamette. Pinot, you know, know, I say that this is not a fair representation of Bulgarian wine, and I think that we need to go and seek out we'll a true Bulgarian varietal. We will investigate. That's right. Sarah, I like this. See? Yeah. The whole point is like, look, you try it once, you try something once, eh. Don't say that that is the end-all, be-all. Like people who are like, oh, God, I never drink Merlot. I hate Merlot. No, just... Just try a few Merlots. Try some good Merlots. Don't just buy the super cheap shit because you're on, you know, you're not willing to like spend a few extra dollars because yeah. you're like, I'm not gonna like it. Like, of course you're not gonna like a six dollar bottle of Merlot. Like, what do you think? No, it's not, it's gonna be it's um, gonna taste like wood chips. Do you did you pick up the sawdust? No, you know, no. I initially for like the first sip I thought cedar or pine paint. Oh, that's what I'm getting. This could, do you know what? Then maybe like this, this is flawed. Huh? 
Maybe it's flawed, volatile acidity. That's a that's a flaw in wine. So I'm thinking that's what I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that there's probably medium tannin, medium bodied. I'm gonna go medium bodied now. Acidity, it's it's it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's it's a medium plus acidity. It's not the most acidic thing I've ever had. Yeah. Color is beautiful. We're, we're going to give Bulgaria another we'll chance. We'll give Bulgaria another shot. It is deserving of at least that. Um, especially one of those native grapes. I think that'd be really fucking good. For sure. So we'll investigate. If anybody has some suggestions and you've come across some interesting Bulgarian wine, please share your recommendations. And then we'll see if we can get it here in, in good old state of Wisconsin. I'm sure we can find a way. We are there's a will, there's a way, Sarah. This is true. <laughs> if your why is strong enough... You'll figure out the how. Yeah! (laughs) All right. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time, cheers from the girls of DBP. DBP.